Attention, armchair quarterbacks and shower thought GMs. It's time for this week's episode of Sports Ball with Mike Meharry and Alan Mosley. That was the worst lightning round ever in the world. <laughs> well, I kind of feel bad now because I, 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 I wasn't like I wasn't trying to play stump Mike. Welcome back to Sports Ball for episode 20. I am your host, Alan Mosley, joined as always by my partner in crime, Mike Meharry. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Sun is shining here in Lexington, Kentucky, which is weird. Oh, I know. <laughs> the, we- the weather is so nice. It's like 68 degrees here. Like, it's actually, I'm, I would wear shorts and a t-shirt on a day like today. Yeah, we were, we were in the 60s yesterday, but I think it's about to about to crash to the floor so well that's that's the problem is that you know as as some of our fans at home may know we we have a big a big event coming up this weekend yeah. with some of our friends and if if it if it were today it would have been the perfect day right instead we're gonna have like 34 degrees in rain yeah love it i don't know if you saw the forecast or not but no but that sounds about right yeah, that's what we're gonna have so on that note mike what do you remember from last week without really looking well, the thing that I remember without looking isn't – it's tangentially related to sports. It's the halftime show at the national championship game. That was a complete <laughs> abomination. And I don't know. Maybe this reflects the fact that I'm getting old and, you know, all this damn music that these kids are listening to. But, oh, my God, this music that these kids are listening to. <laughs> It was awful. And, and then then out comes little Wayne, and apparently he stole Joseph's coat of tech many colors. I don't know what all that was. So, yeah, that was just a hot-ass mess all the way around, not to mention the fact that the game itself was uh, was not—it did not live up to the national championship hype. But, yeah, I actually turned it off in the middle of the uh, halftime show. And and never turned it back on. I'd never heard of that Dragons band before, so it was like, oh, new music. Let's see what this is. And yeah, I was really disappointed. That'll that'll learn you to listen <laughs> yeah, to new music. That's right. I'm going back to my <laughs> '80s music. Damn it. Well, it's funny. This is a sports show. We're going to talk about music for a second because we're both we're both musicians. Yeah. And I actually like old music. I like jazz. Oh yeah. I like a lot of classic jazz. So I like. So that's that's old, even by oldies standards. Right. That's that's old. Um, but. With that said, I mean, I can appreciate lots of things. There's actually, um, uh, I don't know if you you know the band Lost Lonely Boys, um, the the Texican trio. They they did that song Heaven and and some other a handful of hits and stuff. They're actually playing. Uh, I missed a chance to see them in Nashville not long ago, and they're actually playing in Franklin, Tennessee, which is only like 25 minutes from my house, which is very rare when you live in a random southern small town. You don't you you expect to have to drive further, right? to go see a big show, but they're actually playing really close. So the point being is, is, you know, I can, I can get into a variety of music. I don't, I don't like specific genres or even necessarily artists. I just like good songs. Right. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. And there was no good songs. <laughs> no, played. There, was not, <laughs> there were not any good songs. There were no good lyrics, uh, no good accompanying, you know, rhythmic. Well, I guess some of the rhythmic rhythms are kind of catchy, but yeah, I, I didn't enjoy that at all. Well, you know, music in a lot of ways can be an esoteric thing, and and you people say, "Oh, you're being an elitist, whatever." But, but somebody, it, somebody is yelling at their podcasting app right now. 
Oh, what's wrong with you, you old mother? Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, what I was going to say is, is that music can be can can be like a lot. I mean, it can be like sports and a lot of things where there's the opinion of like your quote unquote mainstream. But then there's the opinion of people who live and do it. Right. Like the opinions of of a linebacker who retired after 20 seasons in the NFL if he has a different opinion than like your casual fair weather fan, I promise you it's not the linebacker that's wrong because right. like he knows that's his life. Exactly. He knows the sport. Uh, and specifically as it pertains to jazz, like I know, look, I, I understand it's not actually 1926. Yeah. So jazz isn't exactly the high, the height of pop culture, but I've been around a lot of, musicians who are way better musicians than me who will say oh man when i get a chance to play with jazz people that's like oof. oh yeah i that's that's the primo absolutely i've played with some jazz guys like in in like church worship bands and stuff and and uh i don't know it seems like jazz people people that are trained in jazz can play anything like the drummer at our church right now he's a he's you know, cut his teeth on jazz and, and he can do country, he can do pop, he can do rock and roll. He can do pretty much anything. He's a fantastic drummer and, you know, started with jazz. One of my favorite bands that was ever put together for a pop record was, uh, when Sting did his dream of the blue turtles album, that group of musicians that he had for that. I mean, you know, Branford, uh, Marcellus playing saxophone and, um, Omar Hakim, I think, was the drummer. Just, just a fantastic group of jazz players, and they made a really good pop album. So, well, the, so the moral of the story here is, is that to your point, so the, those types of really elite musicians, they can actually play Imagine Dragons, but <laughs> yeah. Imagine Dragons cannot play what they play. <laughs> it's kind of like the the uh, the yeah. Never mind. That wasn't going to be a good analogy. We're just going to scrap that. But So, welcome to Music Ball. Yeah, Music's <laughs> Ball, episode one. So, I'll tell you what I remember from last week. Here, here's an interesting little hypothetical for you, Mike. In the last week of the year, the Bears rested their starters, and they were playing their final game, which was against the Minnesota Vikings. Right. Uh, and, or excuse me, they didn't rest their starters. They decided to play as if it were a regular game, you know, keep everybody in, in game shape, right. keep them sharp. Keep the momentum. And – and by beating the Vikings, you're ousting one of your divisional foes from the playoffs. Because had the Vikings won, they would have made the playoffs and the Eagles would have been out. But if the if the Vikings lose and the Eagles won, then of course the Eagles would get the final seed in the playoffs. I see where you're going here. Yeah, so the Bears effectively had the opportunity to decide who would and would not be eliminated from playoff contention. And and effectively they chose to get to get rid of the Vikings over the Eagles and now their season has ended at the hands of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now I know hindsight is 2020, but the Vikings a uh the, the Bears really had their number earlier in the year when they played uh, B, the Vikings have a horrible history uh playing at Soldier Field especially late in the year. Uh, and see, the Eagles were a red hot team going into the postseason. I think if they had to do it over, they would uh, change their minds on that one. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I I recall us having the discussion last week that the Eagles was a team that you would not want to have to meet in the playoffs, despite the fact that they're coming in as a wild card. That they they had finally yeah. shaken off the uh, proverbial Super Bowl hangover after seventeen games. And, uh, well, actually, it's less than 17. Well, let's just say that uh, since uh, 
Carson Wentz broke his back again. <laughs> <laughs> again, I know, right? That's awful. But yeah. with that said, it is time for the conference championship round of the unplayoffs. The unplayoffs is a special segment we're doing here at Sports Ball where we took the first six teams that were eliminated from the AFC and the NFC and had a hypothetical unplayoffs, the worst teams of each league going up to see who is the winner of the unplayoffs. We are now down to the conference championship games. For the AFC, we have the number three seed, Buffalo Bills, taking on the number one seed, Oakland Raiders, at home in Oakland. And for the NFC, we have the number four seed, Atlanta Falcons, traveling to take on the number two, San Francisco 49ers. So for the AFC, Mike, who do you think wins the hypothetical unplayoff AFC championship game? Well, despite the fact that the Bills have to travel across the country to the yes. grand city of Oakland, I'm still going to go with the Bills. Um, I, I can't even really remember how Chucky managed to make it this far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but here we are. Uh, I, I think the, the, uh, the, the Chucky magic ends this week, Buffalo Bills, who are, who are streaking and, and uh, you know, may be the favorite to take the unplayoff championship. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Bills here. You know what? That's that's interesting now that you mention it because I, I update my notes each week for the for the show and I erase last week's notes. They're safe somewhere, but they're not on the file I'm looking at right now. I also don't know. <laughs> remember how the Chuckies got this far in the unplayoffs? Because to be fair, for people at home, the unplayoffs were seeded based on the first six teams from the AFC and NFC to be eliminated, right. and then seeded based on the order in which they were eliminated. However, we've sort of been playing the actual hypothetical game on who would legit win if they were trying to win. So it's not it's not the biggest loser. It's the winners of the losers. Right. So actually, yeah, I have no idea how the Raiders are <laughs> However, with that said, I agree with you. I think the Bills go on the road and take care of business. They really – uh, though they were the number three seed in the unplayoffs, they really finished the season strong with their uh, huge win against the Dolphins. Um, so I think if that game were played this week, I think the Bills take it. And they looked good off and on throughout the season, and Oakland pretty much looked bad the entire yes. season. So. Yes. Yeah, very true. And then for the NFC or NFC Championship game in the unplayoffs, you have the number four seed Atlanta Falcons traveling to take on the number two San Francisco 49ers. Who do you have? I'm going to go with the visiting team in this game as well, although I think it's going to be a better game than people might expect. I, I think San Francisco has has played well considering the adversity that the team has faced, uh, and they've, they've so, showed some sparks of uh, – of, of glory. I think they uh I think they beat the Bucks, you know, last week to get here to the championship game. But I think that that runs out. I still like uh you know, I still like Ryan at quarterback. I still like Julio Jones. I think they can play enough defense to to stop the San Francisco uh attack. So, I'm going to go with Atlanta. Well, late in the season, San Francisco, which of course was not a great team, but but even if for them to even be competitive, they were living and dying by whether or not uh the rookie backup Nick Mullins could muster together like a playing out of his mind kind of, kind of a game, you know, 
whereas the Falcons are kind of more consistent. They've been consistently bad this year, but they're more consistent and have healthier starters in the lineup. I think if San Francisco had Garoppolo back for this game, San Francisco would win just in the same way that I think if Garoppolo had not gone down, the 49ers would have had a much better season. Right. However, with that said, I don't think Nick Mullins is able to channel the magic. And I do think that the Falcons take it, which will set us up next week for maybe a little bit longer debate next week on who's going to win the unplayoff Super Bowl between the Buffalo Bills and the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, I actually even, think that's kind of an intriguing game. I, I think it is too. Might have to dig into some stats and, and look at some uh, look at some trends in that one. I agree. And so now it is time to move on. We're debuting another new segment because really, what's sports ball if we don't debut new segments every single week? <laughs> and so with this week, we're doing Adventures in Officiating. We're going to have to find some like cool little more drum type music or something for that adventures in in officiating. So this past week uh, in the playoff game specifically is what I'm looking at. There, there was a handful of uh, interesting adventures in officiating. We're going to start with the, probably the, the biggest one, which was the chargers Ravens game uh, later in the second half. There was a review of a catch by the chargers tight end uh, where he was right on the goal line of the Baltimore end zone uh, the the uh, during the live shot of when the game actually was taking place live, uh, the tight end catches the ball, but he has to kind of come out of the end zone about a yard out to reach down for the ball because Philip Rivers is under pressure and that's as much as much as he could put on the throw. But the defender is far enough off of him that the defender has not touched him. So even though he is down on the ground rolling across the field with the ball, this is not college. That player is not down until he is down by contact. Right. He rolls, and of course, remember this year we have those really awesome little pylon cams right there at the pylons of the corners of the end zone. So I mean, it's like it's clear as day if you're if you're looking for someone's tippy toes or a ball being stretched over a line. As long as there's not a body in the way, I mean, you can see it absolutely clear as day. And we can only presume that the officials on the field have the same camera angles when they're reviewing plays. Well, if they don't, if, if they don't, that's completely retarded. Yeah, if they don't, then what's the point? Like, why even bother? <laughs> why even bother having replay if you're not actually going to use the tools at your disposal for the replay? Yeah. But he catches it and he's downed, and I believe on the field they called it a touchdown. Actually, no, I take that back. I believe on the field they called him short, uh, and the Chargers uh, threw in the red flag to review the review the play. Uh, because they believe he had scored right. the replay show absolute. Now, remember, as the as the rule is, if one millimeter of that brown football touches the front millimeter of the invisible barrier, that which which is the white line of the end zone, then that is a touchdown. Yep. Breaking, it is a touchdown. Breaking the plane, as they call yes. it. Yes. It, as soon as the plane is plane is broken by the football by a live runner with possession at, at, in, in any way, that is a touchdown. 
the replay shows that about the time that the defender kind of gave him a little two pats on the back too, because so, he, you know, you don't really have to ram him. You can just tap him down because he's all physically on the ground. The ball, I mean, the ball's all the way over the top of the white line. You can actually see because he's rolling over and he actually rolls towards the pylon cam and you can see he is cradling the ball and the ball is absolutely lined up all the way over the top of the white line. So it's really not even a close review. It's clear that it's a touchdown. Well, so clear, in fact, that the officials made two boneheaded mistakes. First, they say that the runner is down short of the goal line, so it is not a touchdown. But just to prove that this is no fluke, you would think, well, if he's short of the end zone, then what what are they going to do? Spot him at like the one inch line? They actually spot him all the way back at the one. Wow. Now, For those of you at home who don't remember your elementary school classes, if there's three feet in a yard, that means we're arguing over whether or not the ball is touching the white line or is behind the white line. And they decide it wasn't touching the white line, which, again, is wrong by a foot wrong. And then they set the football back three more feet behind that. The Chargers would eventually go on to score the touchdown here, but – being stopped at the one is much more likely, even though I think because I think the next play would have been first and 10 or second and second and goal, first and goal or second and goal. So being stopped at the one yard line is hard to do, but it can be done. Whereas if you're at literally the one inch line, you know, the quarterback can just hike the ball and literally just lean, hold the ball. Yeah, just lean or hold the ball over the center's head. It's on automatic. It's it's literally an unstoppable play in football, it, literally. Um, but it was placed in such a way. I mean, it just absolutely was categorically incorrect. There's no camera angle that justified it at all. Even if you were going by some weird random overhead angle where you didn't see the line, you couldn't possibly think he was down at the one. He was rolling past the one yard line with no defenders around him. You couldn't possibly think that's where the ball is. Well, my only suggestion is maybe the referees thought that they were back in college again. Maybe it was a f- college flashback or something. You know, it, it's interesting to me because I'm pretty forgiving of officials missing calls on the field. When when you've been down on the field uh, in a, any professional sporting event and you see how fast it is, you can forgive a an official missing something. To me, it's unforgivable when you have multiple camera angles and you can stand there for you know however long you need to, that they can't get these review calls right. Yeah, I mean that's that's really the icing on the cake is that it's what's the point of having review if every single it, not I was just going to say every year it almost seems like every week now that we have calls that are wrong that are that are confirmed wrong or upheld as wrong after review. I, we we the whole concept of having a review and and having that stop in play and and, and disrupting that rhythm of the offense and whatever the trade off is is that we're not going to make mistakes. So making mistakes, despite the fact that you have something like 50 cameras all around the right. stadium and the, and the, and, and you're right, the, the official can go watch the camera angles for three, four, five minutes and, and make up his mind. And sometimes they do and they still yeah. get it wrong. And they still get it wrong. It's, it's, and speaking of that, there's actually a couple more. So for those of you who watched the Eagles bear game, bears game, there was a very interesting play mm-hmm. where the bears had thrown a pass uh, down the right hash marks that were down to about the Eagles five to 10 yard line. Uh, the receiver caught the ball with both hands, had three feet down as an Eagles player was trying to rip the ball out of his hands, but the ball was not moving. The receiver had the ball. 
in both of his hands, took one step, two steps, three steps, on his way to four and five steps, and finally he goes to the ground as the Eagles defender is ripping the ball out of his hands. Now, the play was ruled as incomplete on the field. And then, of course, there's a challenge. But here's the thing. If it's a challenge, then you're challenging whether or not it was incomplete. So you're saying that it was actually complete. Well, if it was complete, then that means he fumbled. He, he completed the catch and because the ball absolutely got ripped out. So if you're saying he was complete, then you're also saying it was a fumble. <clears throat> but here's where it gets interesting. There was no clear recovery of this supposed fumble. The Eagles players go on to celebrate. The Bears players walk back to the line of scrimmage. And the so the contention here is, is that, well, if we're going to call it complete, but that, that means we have to also say there was a fumble. Well, if there was a fumble but no clear recovery, then the ball would stay with the Bears. So this means the Bears are going to get the ball down at about the five-yard line as opposed to having an incomplete pass or as opposed to it being complete and fumbled and the Eagles having the ball back and it not being uh, quite as close of a game as it ended up being. Now, what makes this interesting on top of all of that, now the eventual ruling was is that it was an incomplete pass and that stood. And the ruling is, and this is actually in the rule book, so they did they they got it right, even though the announcers of the game were making fun of them. They got it right that if they're if it's called incomplete on the field, which it was, and then they say that it was potentially complete and there was potentially a fumble and there's potentially no clear recovery of the fumble, then you just stay as the call on the field. And so so the point being is, is that the de- in, in these really weird convoluted situations, the default is stick with whatever was called on the field. That's a good rule of thumb. And what was called on the field was an incomplete. But here's the last little wrinkle to that. If you're complaining that, well, there's no clear recovery or, well, why didn't the Eagles players just go pick up the ball? And, and then you can say, well, the Eagles clearly recovered, so it's a catch and a fumble, right? But the referee ran over to the ball, waving his arms incomplete, and then picked up the ball. Yeah, so basically it was the referee's ball. So the referee made a clear recovery yes, of he the did. fumble. So if I'm an Eagles player, the only way that I could argue that it was a catch and then a fumble and then a recovery by the Eagles and therefore it's my ball is to have yanked the ball away from a referee. Now, Mike, do you think a referee is going to let a player just yank the ball out of his hands and not throw that little yellow white flag? That's going to go about as well as if you smart off to the cop that pulled you over. Yeah, exactly. Except you probably won't get shot by the referee. Probably won't get shot, but you're you're definitely going to be shooting your team in the foot by assaulting a referee to take right. the ball from him. So all the way around, the the call is is wonky at best. Um, call, maintaining the call that it was an incomplete pass is probably the most fair thing to do, but the referee literally making him. If you're arguing that the play is still relevant at that point. And the referee is literally interjecting himself onto the field and touching the football. Then all the way around, it's a fault of the referees. All the way around, it's a referee issue. I can't find any fault in that logic. Well, I mean, you're not going to find much ref apologism. <laughs> no, <laughs> not on sports ball. No. But I do have one more before we move on. Yes. So for people who watch the uh, Seattle and uh, Cowboys game, which uh, Seattle let me down. I, even though I'm a Cowboys fan, I picked them to lose 900 to three because I just knew that the Cowboys would collapse in the playoffs like they like they have done now for about 20 years. It's always this week. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, but but not last week because Seattle comes in kind of with this attitude of uh, the Cowboys are bound to collapse. So I wonder who will play next week. And then uh, the Cowboys took care of business and beat them. Yeah, they did. Uh, so Seattle didn't quite cover the spread that I had set for them, which was, uh, <laughs> that was uh, what that was that? That, that was a little bit of a, of a stretch on the spread, maybe just yeah. a tad. Now, one of the biggest plays in the game that made the game uh, contested late in the second half was a big interception by Seattle. To be fair, the Cowboys really had control of that game for most of the game, but they couldn't put enough points on the board to give themselves enough of a cushion to not be sweating bullets. And one of the reasons for that was uh, a a few trips to the red zone that didn't quite work out, one being an interception in the end zone by Dak Prescott. But here's the problem. Everybody, including the commentators, were all raving about, look at this great defense. Look at this awesome interception by Seattle in the end zone, breathing new life into the Seahawks, keeping the game manageable, giving their offense a chance to go back down the field and and take the go-ahead score. The problem is, is that even while the, the announcers are saying this, as we're all watching the replay, and you know they're watching what we see on TV as well. They're at the game and can look on the field, but you right. also have the monitors of the broadcast. So they're seeing what we're seeing. So as the announcers are proclaiming what great defense this is, you clearly see the <laughs> replay where the Seattle defender just just waylays the Dallas receiver right. and then ju- and then goes it's it's not a matter of he jumped his route and made the pick it was let me flat li- let me <laughs> what, what's the word I'm looking let me clothesline the receiver and then that way it'll be way easier for me to right. jump his route and make <laughs> because the pick. he's not on the route anymore and so and so this the last example here is is something that I hope they address in the offseason I don't think they will but I hope they will and that is making Uh, more things reviewable. Now, I know we just complain that we have review and they still get things wrong. But one thing I really hate about the whole concept of review is making certain things reviewable and certain things not. Like if you're going to bother, if you're going to defeat the argument that we don't care about the pace of the game, we care about things being accurate and fair. That's what we most care about. If you've already decided that's what you care most about, then why would you make it arbitrarily decide, well, we can't review that because reasons, but we will review this because reasons. Right. You should be able to review. When when everyone in the stadium and the refs and the coaches and everyone on earth can clearly look at the Jumbotron and see, oh, wow, that safety just decked the receiver and then picked off the pass. Why can't we make it right? We right. have the technology. We all see that there was a penalty that was not called. The, I, I know that some people are thinking, I'm afraid that that just means that literally after every single play, you know, people are going to be going to the negotiation table, pounding their fists, saying, well, let's let's review every single move by every single player until I find an outcome I like. Right. And I don't and I don't want and I, and I agree that would be that would be bad. And I don't want that. But but I, I still maintain the concept of what is reviewable and not reviewable just seems convoluted to me. Yeah. You know, this brings up another broader officiating issue that I see, not just in football, but in every sport. I've seen it really obvious in hockey uh, and I think also in basketball that things that are penalties in the regular season suddenly become not penalties during the playoffs. And yes. I, I think there's this mentality, you know, well, this is a playoff game, you know, it's one and done. This is for the, for all the marbles. We don't want to, we don't want to interject ourselves into the game. We don't want to impact the outcome of the game. But when you're, 
calling the game differently than you did for the first 17 weeks, or in the case of hockey, for the first 84 games, or you know however many games that, that they're officiating. When it's all said and done, you are interjecting yourself into the game by not interjecting yourself into the game. Yes, I agree. <laughs> So, you know, just a little pet peeve. And like I said, you really see it in, in hockey. You know, the, the slashes and the hooks and the grabs that during the uh, regular season always get called. All of a sudden in the playoffs, they, you know, we're going to let them play. And that is really problematic for teams and, and, you know, making it personal for teams like Tampa Bay, for teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs who rely on their speed and, and rely on their power plays, all of a sudden you're not getting those calls. It completely changes the, the complexion of the game. And I think we're seeing some of that in the NFL. And, and I think we see some of that with the scores being lower. All of a sudden there's defense because, you know, the, the referees are allowing defenders to do things that they weren't allowing them to do during the regular season. So my thing is just be consistent. Call it one way throughout the entire season and and don't change it up at playoff time. I I agree with you. Now, I I love seeing physical play. So I would argue that if if you are an official and you have a mindset of – I let things go based on the importance of the game, and this is the level by which I'm willing to eat my whistle. I wish you would take that mindset and then just do that all year. Yeah, yeah. I, I would rather it, I would rather see that than uh, you know all of a sudden at playoff time we're we're going to do it different. Be consistent. Yeah. That's all. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. Well, speaking of consistent, hit me with what is probably consistently. One of the best Mike Meharry segments on this show. It's really only cons- the only consistent Mike <laughs> Meharry segment on this show. But yes, I'm never going to try to build you up ever again. We That's we it. do have a puck to the head this weekend, and we're going to go into the world of soccer. I know we what? have uh, we, yes, and I know we have at least one soccer fan in the audience. Our friend Joel Poindexter, uh, who actually sent me some pretty interesting MLS analysis that I quickly disregarded because I don't care. But, you know, he cares, and and I think other people care about soccer. So I'm going to go to the world of, of soccer, and not just American soccer. We're going to big-time European soccer because we're going to fire a puck to the head of Bayern München, or some people would say Bayern Munich, uh, because they find a player named Frank Ribery, and they, and they may not pronounce it Frank, uh, but I'm going to say Frank. It's probably Franck. We'll say Franck. Franck Ribery. <laughs> they find him. And you know why they found, find him? Why? He used mean words. What? Yes, he used mean words. He used mean words on tri- Twitter to be uh, to be precise. Now, I have to set this up and explain why he used mean words. Because he was responding to criticism. It seems that during a, a break in the season, Franck went to a very, very expensive restaurant in, I, I believe it was in, in Cutter or, um, uh, oh, what's the, it wasn't Cutter, but it's one of those countries over there in the Middle East uh, where there's a lot of rich people. Um, and I, now I can't remember the name of the country, but it doesn't really matter. He went there, he went to a restaurant, and he ate a steak that was coated in gold. So basically the dude ate gold. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a thing. Uh, I know this from uh, my work at Shift Gold that eating gold is actually a thing. You know, it's a mm-hmm. kind of a sign of uh, 
you know, I've made it. If you can afford to eat gold, then then you made it. And and granted, a professional soccer player in Germany, you know, that's that's the equivalent of being in the NFL or the or uh, Major League Baseball here in the United States. So, uh, Frank Frank's got his money, but he got a lot of criticism from fans for eating the steak. Apparently, they thought that was a little too ostentatious, and that you know we just can't have somebody showing that much, uh, you know, just wasting that kind of money. So. This is what he said to his detractors, and I'm going to read this because I think it's a pretty good burn. He says, for 2019, let's dot the I's and cross the T's. Let's start with the jealous, the haters, those only born because a condom had a hole. (laughs) He went on to say, fuck your mothers, your grandmothers, and even your family tree. I owe you nothing. My success is above all, thanks to God, me and my loved ones who believe in me. For the others, you're nothing but pebbles in my socks. So, wow. yeah. So, Frank put that out in the in the Twitter sphere, and uh, the league, or not the league, but his club decided that they were going to fine him. Uh, the a spokesperson for Bayern München said he has used words that we as FC Bayern Munich cannot accept and that Frank can never use as a role model as a player of FC Bayern. Well, I don't know that he was trying to be a role model, to be honest with you. Now, you could say that I should shoot a puck at Frank's head for using such mean words, but I really can't because you know what? He's not wrong. No, that, I, the whole time you're telling me this, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, if I'm him, this makes me want to just dog it when I play for my team. Yeah, well, and apparently this is his last year. I think he's, I think he's done. His contract is up, so he's not going oh, to be around next year. In that case, I would just go. I'd, I'd go. I'd jack that thing up to a ten. I'd be yeah. posting that stuff, stuff every single week. Yeah. But you know, who really cares if if the dude eats gold? And what business is, is it of yours? He's, he is right in that it is the jealous and the haters and people born because there was a hole in the condom. So. I'm shooting the puck at the head of Bayern München for for uh, finding him and and giving Frank a thumbs up for a, a pretty high level burn. You know the best thing about this is is that the only the only way and this is the beauty of social media like like Twitter is that the only way someone who hates Frank can see the post and then message back. Frank, I hate you, and this is why, and then for him to reply to that guy. The only way that's possible is for these people that presumably don't like him or don't approve his lifestyle to be actively following right. him on social media. That's right. the only way. That that is that is probably one of the phenomenon that I'm I'm not sure I'll ever understand. Maybe I'm different than most people, but I can promise you on my Twitter and, and Facebook feeds, I don't friend slash follow people that I don't want to hear from. Yeah. But as people, as the saying goes, he's living rent free in their head. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. And so if if he were to double down and make more comments today, and if the same people were to be outraged, they could only possibly be outraged because after the first outrage, they didn't just wipe their hands of him and move on. Yeah. So wow, you you know what that that was a very interesting puck to the head. I learned. Something. I, I try to bring some quality to my single segment on sports ball. <laughs> well, speaking of quality on sports ball, it's it's time for us to slow things down. Yeah, 
and to remember those uh, players, coaches, or teams whose sports lives have ended too soon, or maybe not soon enough, as the situation warrants. It's time for In Memoriam. Mike, who are you remembering this week? Well, I think it's obvious that we have to remember In Memoriam, the Alabama Crimson, Crimson Tide, oh. after they were crushed 44-16 to 16 by the Clemson Tigers. And it really wasn't ever close. Uh, I think I messaged you early in the second quarter and said, I think Clemson's going to win this game. Uh, Tua threw two picks early in the game. One, The first was a pick six uh, mm-hmm. that put Clemson on the board to begin with. Uh, Alabama looked good early. Uh, they were moving the ball. They were doing what they wanted to do. You know, they, they had one of those grind them out kind of drives where, where they were uh, running the ball and grinding time off the clock. But uh, after that drive, basically the Clemson defense shut Alabama down. And I never would have thought that that's the way the game would have gone. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not surprised that Clemson scored a lot of points on the Alabama defense. We, we've seen Alabama give up points, but I'm really surprised that Clemson's defense was able to, especially in the second half, uh, completely held Alabama scoreless. Uh, so Alabama's national title hopes are crushed until next year. So uh, I guess we'll see Clemson in Alabama again yes. next January. Until then, we will leave Alabama along with their brethren in Auburn in memoriam. Yes, just you wait 364 days for the rematch, 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 rematch between these two teams. I'll tell you who I'm remembering this week, but I'm actually going to do a little switcheroo on you. I'm remembering Bears kicker Cody Parkey, who pulled off the legendary double doink. He did. In this weekend's Bears-Eagles contest. At the end of the game with the Bears uh, kicking a do-or-die field goal, it was a 43-yarder. The kick goes in, they win, they move on to the next round. The kick does not go in, they lose and go home, and the Eagles move on to the next round. And the kick does the legendary double doink going off the left the left uh, upright, and then the crossbar, and then out into the field as opposed to end, and the game is over. Since I, a few things I want to point out about that. Since being cut by the Bears, longtime Bears kicker Robbie Gould is 82 of 85 on field goals. Oh. Did you know that since since cutting Robbie Gould because he's too expensive or not, however you want to determine the value, not worth it, Robbie Gould has missed three field goals since being cut by the Bears, and the Bears have missed 19. Oh. Just, just pointing that out there about uh, appreciating the value of the players that you have. Yes, indeed. But you know what they say about game-winning field goals? If your entire game relies on the kicker, then your team deserves whatever outcome happens. So that's something, a little something I have to say about the Chicago Bears. However, I'm going to do the switcheroo on you right here. NBC actually had a pre-planned montage of all the doinks that this kicker had throughout the year and a variety of other misses, which one I think is really poor form on their part. The fact that they had this entire montage, you know that those things aren't thrown together in 10 seconds. Oh, no, yeah. Producer had to do that days before. 
Yes. So they had this ready in the event that Cody Parkey missed a, a, a major kick to to ruin the game for the Bears, which I, which I think is a little bit of poor sport on NBC's part. But I'll tell you what's really poor sport on NBC's part. They were so busy planning the mo- pre showing the pre-planned montage of doinks that they didn't show us a good slow-mo replay of the kick, which showed, guess what? It was tipped. I was getting ready to say that. Cody Parkey is innocent. He did not miss the kick. The NFL has actually officially changed it in their records as of yesterday. It is now no longer listed as a miss. It is now listed by as a block, block. by the mm-hmm. So just so just before the Bears eat him alive. I, I'm I'm forgetting the name now. What was the name of the Cubs fan who caught the ball and Oh yeah. I don't remember his name. Oh god, that's gonna that's gonna ruin it for me now. It, it's it's that's literally going to ruin the whole show for me. Uh, I'm actually going to type it in uh, into uh, into Google because I Google's so awesome. I know if I just type Cubs fan caught ball, it's going to say Bartman, Steve Bartman, Steve incident. Bartman. Yes, Steve Bartman. That was in 2003. So Cody Parkey is quickly becoming the next Steve Bartman. And it's it is not war- now. Don't get me wrong, Cody Bart or excuse me, Cody Bartman. It's, it's basically where he is. Cody Parkey was not a good kicker this year, and it stood to reason the Bears may be looking for a new kicker in the offseason, regardless of this game. But this game was not Cody Parkey's fault. No, I do have to say this though: there have been some fantastic memes that have come about. Due to <laughs> Cody's misfortune, I posted one on the Sports Ball Facebook page yesterday. It says, "Are you a Bears kicker?" And it has the typical yes and no with the boxes. And yeah. he's checked yes, except it's all on the lines. And then, yes. uh, and then I saw another one that had a car that had actually run into like one of those posts in a parking lot, and it impaled the the left side of the car, like it was up in the hood. And mm-hmm. and the caption was just Bears kicking game. Yeah. Well, like I said, the Bears kicking game throughout the year was less than exemplary, but it's 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 worth mention that Cody Parkey had been a competent kicker up until this season. Uh, So it's not like he's a career long uh, goat, Uh, but but also he he was three or four on the day in field goal kicks and he made his extra points. So he accounted for half of the bears points in the game. And the one missed kick was not a miss. It was a tip. So if, right. if anyone has any, if, if there's any blame to go around and there's plenty to go around for the entire Bears sideline and not just the kicker. So did, and, did we just have our first resurrection on yes. memoriam? Yes, that that was a sw- I called it the switcheroo, but you're right. This is this is the in memoriam. It's a resurrection. Cody Parkey is back from the dead. So instead, we're <laughs> instead we're going to remember the uh, the Bears, the Bears fans and faithful around Chicago who have turned Parkey into the villain when he is in fact not so. Well, there you go. But it is time for the week twenty pick'em. It's the NFL divisional round edition. We're, we're, we're coming down to it now. Would, would you say – let me ask you this real quick. Would you say that this is the best eight teams in the NFL? My gut says no. I mean I see – You don't think so? I, I don't know. See, I actually think it is. Even, even though I had – of course, I had picked 
the Seahawks to beat the Cowboys and they didn't. But I, I can't I can't turn around and say, well, the Seahawks deserve to be here because they had their chance and and they're right. not here. Well, and, and I'm looking at the list and I can't think of anybody that is missing from that list that should be there. So I guess I guess the answer to that question is yes. It, it, this is an interesting year for the playoffs because I don't see I don't see any teams on that list where I can tell you categorically this team is going to win every game by fifty and they're going to win the Super Bowl. I don't think any of those teams are that team. But vice versa, I can't think of any teams that are better than these eight teams. Which I think I think that's fair. Yeah, I think so too. And so for that, I think it's going to be a good. I think it's going to be a good year. I think it's going to be a challenging year for the playoffs. Yeah. So for the first game, we have the Indianapolis Colts, fresh off their demolishing of the Houston Texans. Talk about a team that shouldn't have been there. The Houston Texans are out. The Colts are in, and they are traveling to the Kansas City Chiefs. Quick note: the Chiefs have only ever won two games in Arrowhead Stadium in the playoffs, which seems. Seems hard to believe for a fairly storied franchise like the Chiefs, but it is true, as well as another last tidbit for you. The Chiefs are a combined 0-6 against the rest of the AFC teams in the playoffs. They're 0-1 against the Patriots, 0-1 against the Chargers, and 0-4 against the Colts all time in the playoffs. Ouch. Yikers. So who do you have for this one? Well, I think it's going to be 0-5 against the Colts. Uh, we've, we've talked about this before. We've talked about Kansas City on a couple of occasions. Uh, the fact that despite their gaudy numbers and their big wins, they've not played well against teams with winning records. Uh, I really like this Colts team that that is, you know, you want to talk about momentum. I don't know that there's any team, with the exception of maybe the Eagles, that have more momentum right now than the Colts. Uh, Andrew Luck is he's back to his uh, top form, and I was surprised to, at how well the Indianapolis defense played uh, in the game against the Texans. I mean, they sure. they look stout and solid, and I'm just you know I, I like Mahomes, and you gotta like that offense, but I, I still think that at the end of the day, the momentum carries the Colts to a 24-21 win. I think it's gonna be close, but uh, I think the Colts are gonna pull it out. I think it's going to be a little bit further, and I think it'll be a little bit higher scoring just because of the nature of the game. But I agree. I'm actually going to say, and I, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, so you can you can listen back, and I'm not just pulling this out of my rear end. I've always said I thought the Chiefs were the top seed first to go, and I think it's here in, the, in their first game. I think the Colts win at Kansas City 31-21. Ooh. I tell you what, as a real quick aside, talking about teams with momentum, you're right. The Colts have a ton of momentum. And the Eagles are right there, too. If you told me today that the Super Bowl would be Colts and Eagles, I would tell you that that's unlikely, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So moving on, Dallas Cowboys coming off their home win against the Seahawks, much much to my chagrin. I, I, I pulled a Mike Meharry and thought my team is going to lose this game. Why even bother getting my hopes up? And then, of course, naturally they win. So the Dallas Cowboys now are going to be taking on the Los Angeles Rams. A quick aside for this one, the Rams and Cowboys, this will be their ninth meeting in the postseason, which is the most all-time between teams of, of NFC or AFC. Huh. 
uh, talking about the the glory of Cowboys days of yore. The Cowboys have the most meetings between another team ever, which is nine with the Rams. They're tied for the second most of eight teams with it's Cowboys versus another team. I forget now who it is. And they also are tied three more times for the seventh most of Cowboys and another team and Cowboys and another team and Cowboys and another team. The point being is the Cowboys throughout the decades have been to the playoffs a lot. And because of that, they've had a ton of matchups. However, his historical matchups really don't matter because these are totally different rosters, totally different coaches. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take this one right off the bat and say, I think the Rams are just a higher quality team, but the Cowboys defense, man, I mean, this is, I actually read a user recently who said, do you actually think the Cowboys have any chance against a team like the Rams or the saints talking about, they had just beaten the Seahawks. And of course my, my smart ass answer was, well, I mean, we know they have a chance against the saints because they played the saints and beat them 13 to 10. So they must have a chance against the saints. I think the Rams are a more complete team, and I think the Rams will win. And even though I think it'll be a two-score game, I don't think it's going to be the kind of game the Rams are going to be super proud of. I think it's going to be 20-6 to Rams, which if you're a Rams fan, you're happy to take the W and move on. But I don't think it's going to be super inspiring because I think the Cowboys' defense will keep it manageable, but the Cowboys' offense can't score the points. Well, I agree with you in the outcome, and I'll give you my Los Angeles Rams memory goes all the way back to 1979. Ooh. It was the first time that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had reached the <laughs> NFC Championship game. And uh, the Tampa Bay rode their defense, which, uh, you know, you remember back when they used to nickname defenses? They don't seem to do that anymore, but uh, they called them the Orange Crush. And uh, the Rams actually beat the uh, Buccaneers that year 9 to nothing. <laughs> In a, in a barn burner in the 1975 NFC Championships game. So there you go. But uh, the uh, the Rams, I think, are going to take this. I think there's going to be a little bit more scoring. I actually have the same score that you had for the game before, 31-21. Uh, I, but I, I, I think your analysis of it possibly being an ugly game for the Rams, I, I could see that. Uh, the Rams have kind of played some ugly games, and th- this is a team that I don't think has a lot of momentum. They really need they really need to put something together. I think if they if they want to if they want to make it to the Super well, obviously they have to put something together and win. But I think that they need to win in a way that is a little bit more convincing if they want to get through uh, all the way to the Super Bowl. So, but I'm going Rams thirty one twenty one. I was really hoping you were going to say, and because of your historical narrative, it's going to be nine to nothing. I was really hoping that's what you're going to say. No, I, I, just, I would. I just wanted I to throw that. that out there. I mean, I'm I'm sure everybody wants to remember the 1979 <laughs> NFC Championship game. However, I I am I am going to stop you on one thing. They, I wouldn't say that they. I think they do still name defenses, but they just. You, because obviously there's been more teams in history than there are right now. Cause there's only 32 right now. Um, you think of it as being more, but they, I think it's, I think it's more that they only name the defenses that, that have a certain character or charisma about them. Cause, and, and I'll give you the perfect example, Legion of boom, Seattle Seahawks. Oh yeah. That's so fair. that was just, that was just a couple of years ago. That, that's so fair. They, that's fair. And I've got and a good name. Even, I've got a good name for the Bucks defense this year. Uh Oh, the silver sieve. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. I was, I was thinking more of the Tampa Bay participants. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's accurate. Barely. I tell you what, I'd love to be a participant in the NFL here. They make pretty good money. 
Uh, all right, we're moving on to the next one. The Los Angeles Chargers, who for some weird reason were a wild card team, and now they're moving on to the divisional round. Imagine our surprise, right? Uh, who are now going to be going on the road to play at New England Patriots. Quick aside for this game, turns out the weather's going to be pretty rough. Big shocker there, a, a postseason game in, in Foxborough. They're saying it's going to be uh, freezing, and there might be a few inches of snow, I think, uh, by playing time. Oh. Uh, so I, I, the, the, uh, you would think that that would favor the Patriots, but it's worthy of mention that the Patriots have not been as good as of, they haven't been as good as of late period. They definitely haven't been as good as of late in adverse weather. And the running back of the chargers at the last time he played in the snow, he set the NCAA record for rushing yards. That's interesting. You know, there is a, there is a, uh, I've seen living in Florida for as long as I did. I saw a lot of Southern teams, Particularly, particularly Florida teams struggle in adverse winter weather. So yeah. you know you have to wonder if that that won't be a factor for the for the old Chargers. Yeah, I I, I can definitely seeing that that being a storyline going into the game, but I think uh, adverse factors aside, the Chargers are the better team. So I'm gonna say 31-17 Chargers. Wow, I think the Chargers are de- are are primed to go on the war path to to demonstrate to us all why winning 13 games should mean that you're not a wild card team. Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take the opposite. I'm gonna be the contrarian, and and I really want the Chargers to win. I'll I'll start with that. Uh, I I think we're almost done with the Brady magic, but I still think that there are a few sprinkles of pixie dust, pixie dust (laughs) in, uh, in Brady's deflated balls. So I think the Patriots are actually going to win the game as much as it hurts my heart. Uh, I'm going to say 21 to 17. Things will be a little bit lower scoring with the, with the inclement weather. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just, I just had this gut feeling that the, the Patriots have one last hurrah in them. I think uh, I think sports ball is going to have to tweet out our condemnation of our host Mike Mahary's <laughs> comments on the show as being uh, not a representation of what we stand for here. At sports actually, ball. it's the, actually it's the epitome of what we stand for here at sports <laughs> ball. Let's be honest. No, what I'm talking about is you picking the Patriots. I oh. don't care about. Oh, balls. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that, finally... that is contrary. I'm sorry. <laughs> and next week, Mike Mahary will be in memoriam. <laughs> yes. Well, hopefully the Patriots will be in memoriam and not you. Well, that would be good. Yeah. And then finally, we have talking about the momentum teams. You have the Philadelphia Eagles fresh off of their uh, tipped double doink victory over the Chicago Bears traveling to New Orleans to play the number one seed Saints. Who do you have? I'm going with the Saints at home. Uh, And I actually actually mulled over this for a while because I I would not Philadelphia is the team I would not want to play. But I think New Orleans has a little bit more. I think this is New Orleans' year, and I like the fact that they're playing in the uh, in the dome. I guess it's the Mercedes Benz Superdome now. Um, but I'm going Saints thirty two twenty one. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna pull this pull this out, and, and uh, then the Eagles can go back to Philly and figure out what they're gonna do with Foles and Wentz. 
You know what? I'm actually going to say that they're going to have to wait another week to decide what to do with Foles and Wentz. I'm actually picking both number one seeds to lose this week. Wow. Which will really make for an interesting playoff picture. Yes, it will. I'm going to say that BDN Nick Foles uh, comes up big for another week. He really actually had a pretty rough first half and some change against Chicago, which is not a big shocker. Chicago's got a great defense, Um, but he made the plays they needed to play, including on the last drive, where I think he was like four or six for for about 60 or so. And the, and the touchdown on, on fourth down, I think he can, I think that Nick Foles, the, the late second half, Nick Foles plays four quarters here. I don't think the saints have anywhere near the defense. The bears do. And I think granted, of course we, we presume the saints have a way better offense than the Bears, but I think the Eagles defense, this is a postseason team that is ready for postseason. I really, I really do. I, I, I had said a couple of weeks ago, teams, everybody in the NFL, please, if I can have your attention, do not let the Philadelphia Eagles into the playoffs. <laughs> they kind of have those shades of the Eli Super Bowl Giants teams where Eli was kind of, of course, Eli was so, so pretty much the whole way through, but the, right. the defense was elite, but they, they just couldn't quite seem to put all the pieces together. And then late in the year, they kind of backdoored their way into the playoffs. And then of course they go on two big runs, which that's the beauty of the playoffs. You go on, you go on a three or four game streak and all all of a sudden you're a Super Bowl champion. I this just reeks of it, Mike. It reeks of it. I'm going to say 27-24 Eagles. So here's the real question in this game. Our listeners will recall that I dabbled with being a Saints fan for a few games. <laughs> oh. The question is, will the Meharry curse still cling to the Saints in the playoffs? I tell you what, I, I'm pretty sure because I'm pretty sure I listed these games in order of of their play. So I'm pretty sure Eagles at Saints is the last game of the weekend. We'll have a good indicator from the game before, because I think because you want you said yourself you desperately want the Chargers to win to knock out the Patriots. Right. If the Chargers end up getting blown out, we'll know it's because of the Meharry curse, and and that will the not. The Saints vote. are doomed. That the Saints are doomed exactly. So with that said, it is time for – we're getting to the end of the episode here. It's time for a lightning round. Ooh. Mike, it's your turn again. Are yes, you ready for a lightning round? I am this ready. Is gonna, this is going to be an all-NHL lightning round, A, because we haven't talked much about hockey, and B, because it's Mike. Yeah, and then so, ha- half of the listeners just tuned out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, half of Clay? How is that even possible? <laughs> All right, so question number one. Mike, what team or teams that are currently out of the playoff picture do you think are most poised to make a push in the second half of the season? Actually, I need to look and see who is actually out. Give me just a second. I'm going to do a little research here. for, And you're not supposed to do a research in a lightning round. But. Right. I'm, I, I, I would queue up a commercial, but I don't think we have any. I, we we need we need some kind of a we need a sponsor so we could play a little ad right now so 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 Mike's googling of his answer for lightning round which totally defeats the purpose of a lightning round is brought to you by and then I don't know who who is it brought to you by let's see it's what? it's it's brought to you by the awkward silence it is where where are you get where are you getting your info from I'm not getting any info right now. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I can. I'm looking at the standings, and I can't tell who's who's in or who's out based on on the uh, on the divisional standings. So I will tell you. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna help you out here. I'm actually gonna. This this is this is breaking all the rules of sports ball right here. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm sending Mike a link to the 2018-2019 uh, wild card standings page, oh, so he can go. see the the teams that are currently the bottoms and uh, the teams that are the first teams out. Okay, so that's interesting because so as I was looking at the um, as, as I was looking at the standings. Before I was looking at the playoffs, I actually said the Montreal Canadiens uh, were – if they weren't in, in there, that they could possibly be one to make a run. And I, and I say this because I like the uh, – I like Montreal's goaltending. And yeah. a good goaltender is is something that can help you make a run, and they, they looked good early in the year. Uh, over in the West, um, I don't know. This may well be your playoff matchups uh, out, out West – uh, Anaheim is out on the outside looking in. Anaheim is one of those teams. It's it's more of a of a uh, kind of a heavy team. This is what they call mm-hmm. them. You know, they play the physical game. They they limit your scoring. Uh, they they played the the Lightning tough twice. I've watched them play those two games. Uh, you know they they could slip in. And then the Edmonton Oilers they've got they've got the uh, firepower offensively to uh, to make a run as well if they get some of those young players going. Um, so the the it's, west the west seems more set to me than the east. I think there's a lot of teams that that you could see creep in there in the uh in the east. Yeah, I I agree with you. So I, I'm 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 going to I'm going to give you a little bit of a help right here by saying cuz I, I know I know I the whole I didn't uh, I didn't tell you what the question was going to be ahead of a time. So I know I've I've I'm I'm trying to stump you as the hockey guy. I don't know anything about anything. So my my analysis is irrelevant. I would just point out that I agree with you that the West at, at this juncture is more or less completely set, and I'll give you the main reason why. The first team out is the Anaheim Ducks, who are tied in points with the Minnesota Wild but have two more games played. But if you'll notice all the way there on the right, they're on an eight-game losing streak. Ouch. That doesn't sound like a team poised for the second half. <laughs> to me, uh, and then whereas you're right, in the East um, – the the hurricanes are, are several points out, but they're on a four game winning streak, so they they're they're getting their feet underneath them. Whereas the Montreal Canadiens, I mean, they they may very well replace the Sabers in the wild card this week. Yeah, the Sabers are one of the Sabers started off really really hot, and in fact, for a while, the Sabers were uh, on the heels of the Lightning as the top team in the East, and uh, they've they've kind of fallen back to earth. And that's a young team; you're going to expect that to happen. Uh, they're they're a team though that that very well could flip around again and, and get on a roll. Um, yeah. The, the other team that I was looking at, and and I mentioned this team earlier in the year, the Florida Panthers. Uh, you know, they're they're out right now. They've lost a couple of games, but this is a team that put together a run late in the season last year, and, and I still I still think that they have a core that is capable of, of making a run. And, and I think you're going to see them flirting with that line as we get toward the end of the year too. I, I still contend that, that the Panthers are a better team than uh, what they've shown so far, or at least they have the, the personnel. So, yeah. 
All right. Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna pick up the pace to really lightning the <laughs> last two questions of the lightning round. Question number two. We haven't really touched on the coaching carousel this week because, frankly, hardly any coaches have actually been hired for all those openings. We'll, we'll probably have more to talk about next week for the NFL. But as an in, in a, as an NHL question, does the NHL have the same sort of coaching carousel issue as the NFL does? Why or why not? Yeah, I think it definitely does. Um, I think you. I think it's just the the nature of the beast that. Everybody wants an experienced coach, and they forget about the fact that a lot of times the experience isn't necessarily uh, good. And we talked about that um, not too long ago with uh, oh gosh, and I can't remember his name. He just went over to the uh, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, he's coached for like four hundred and seventy five teams. <laughs> that sounds like too many. Yeah. But he's won a cup. You know, once you won a cup, then uh Oh, no, I can't remember. Are you trying to think of Paul Maurice? No, that's not who I was thinking of, and it's not okay. the Winnipeg Jets. It was the Edmonton Oilers who who canned their coach. So the coach that was canned or the new coach? The coach that was the new coach in Edmonton. Uh that is Ken Hitchcock. Yes, Ken Hitchcock. Like he's coached for Dallas twice and St. Louis and He's he's been all over the place. So, yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think it's just human nature. You, you want the experience, and you think that well, we're gonna fix this guy when he comes here. There, there's also a factor in hockey, and I don't, I don't know if it's, um, I, I don't know if this is true as much in football as it is in hockey, but I think a lot of times the uh, the voice of a coach, after a while, the players just stop listening to it. Um, you know, over an, of, over a course of an eighty plus game season, uh, players can start tuning out a coach. So sometimes I think there's legitimate reasons to uh, to jump on the coaching carousel because sometimes a coach that is uh, that is being tuned out where he is or got fired where he was uh, can come in and be the voice that's needed in a, in a different locker room. And a perfect example of that is John Tortorella, who coached the Lightning to a Stanley Cup. And uh, then went on to the Rangers, and, and is now coach at the uh, for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And uh, he's just one of those personalities that uh, his his personality and his coaching style works for a while, and then after a while it gets old, and the players start tuning it out. So he, he's going to get moved on, and uh, will generally do well for the first few years that he's in a new city. So um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's I think any sport, you know, from college to pro to football, baseball, basketball. I, th- I think you, you get this kind of coaching carousel mentality because of a perception. And if somebody has any level of success, and even if they tank and suck later on, people remember the success and, and tend to forget the failures. And then finally, the last question for really what has been a record-breaking lightning round, if I do <laughs> say so myself. I'm going to call it the snail round. Yes, the 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 waiting for the thunderclap to see how far away the storm is lightning round. Number three, what do you think about players skipping the All-Star game? I don't have a problem with players skipping the All-Star game. It, and, and to me, it's in the same... It's in the same vein as the players who who skip, uh, you know, the um, the bowl game. You know, there's legitimate reasons to to skip the All Star game. I mean, you're playing 800 billion games in a year. You might have nagging injuries. Uh, 
especially if, and you know, in hockey, a lot of these guys play hurt throughout the year, and you never know it because they don't have uh, the the kind of injury reports that you see in the NFL. Uh, it's one of those sports where the day after the playoffs, you know, you'll you'll hear that so and so played the three rounds of playoffs with a broken leg. And uh, so a lot of these guys are hurt. You don't know what's going on with them. They want to keep it a secret. And and so, you know, a lot of times these guys are skipping because there's legitimate reasons. They're trying to heal up something or not injure themselves farther. I don't have a problem with it. These guys are professional athletes. They, they've they got to make these decisions. Uh, you know, it, it's basically a showcase game. It's for fun. Uh, I'm not going to – I'm not going to – uh, give guy crap for skipping out on something that that's really meaningless in the big picture. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a bonus question. If somebody says to you, Mike, uh, can you play the game uh, with a broken leg? What is your answer? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the, the, no, the answer is how much money you got. Well, yeah, that's true. Yes. I don't know. I, I know some hockey players that would play hockey with broken leg for free. Well, those the, we also call those people retards. <laughs> I would that's the the correct answer as always. I learned this in my first year of business. The correct answer always is how much money you got. Yeah. Okay. Mike, do you have any final thoughts? I don't have any final thoughts. I think I think there was enough <laughs> enough thinking and umming in the lightning round that that I probably should just shut up at this point. Well, I have a final thought before we close the show. Uh, this is this is going out uh, to our Chicago Bears fans. I'm thinking of my buddy John Zwingle. He's from Chicago. I know he's heartbroken from this past weekend. Uh, the Chicago Bears season ended with a first-round exit at the hand of the Philadelphia Eagles, but there's plenty of things to be excited about for the future if you're a Bears fan. Chiefly among them is first-year head coach Matt Nagy. Nagy spent 28 to 2012 with the Eagles organization, working his way up from an intern to an offensive assistant, followed by the 2013 through 17 seasons with the Kansas City Chiefs. He was a QB coach and then an offensive coordinator. In his first year as head coach of the Bears, the 40-year-old Nagy led the Bears to 12-4 and in the NFC North Crown. So let this serve as an example of the sort of positivity that can be generated around a program that isn't just looking to hire a coaching retread. Speaking of coaching carousels. Yeah, speaking of coaching carousels, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Sports Ball. This was episode 20. We're so happy to provide it for you. We are a proud product of Little L Productions, along with such fine programming as Godarchy with Mike Meharry, The Sherry Voluntary Show, Postcards from Somalia, and and last, and, and I mean to be fair, probably least, The Gold Standard with Alan Mosley. You can catch us online. You can go to social media and find us at facebook.com slash this, uh, excuse me, facebook.com slash sportsball podcast, where you can tell us where you thought we were wrong so we can ban you. Also, just go to our website, which is sportsballpodcast.com. With a real URL. Yeah, yeah, it's actually a real, we don't actually send you to the Russian bot page anymore. You actually get the real sportsball. Anything else, Mike? Nope, that's it. We're done. Well, you heard it here, folks. We're done. We will see you next week. Peace out. You have been listening to Sports Ball with Mike Meharry and Alan Mosley. You can follow us on Facebook and leave comments, suggestions. Just go to at Sports Ball Podcast. That's at Sports Ball Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.